2: The Milwaukee Bucks beat the Nets 120 to 119 in overtime last night. Giannis had 44 points and 14 rebounds back-to-back games with 40 and 10 for Giannis. He hit the game tying three in regulation and then hit the game winning free throws in overtime. But I have a very, very specific complaint. I got blacked out for overtime of this game. Had it on TNT. Giannis hits the three, they go to commercial break, and then when they're coming back from commercial break, I get blacked out. And the reason is because the second game of the doubleheader on TNT was the Lakers game, and we're in the Lakers viewing area, so they send me to the regional sports network that the Lakers are on. I could watch the start of the Lakers game, but because it went to overtime, I don't know if it's DirecTV or TNT wasn't smart enough to take the blackout off so I didn't get to watch any of overtime until they finally got it fixed with about 43 seconds left in overtime and apparently people that were watching a stream of this online when the game went to overtime they went to commercial for 13 minutes and didn't come back until they were in the final minute of overtime of this game TNT blew it yesterday I don't know what the hell happened but they blew it not only for people in the Lakers viewing area but also for people watching it just online through their app
0: they blew it for me too I tried to tune in at the end I got the same blackout message but Tyler <laughs> I've actually never had that happen to me with TNT I've those are supposed to be exclusive national broadcasts right so, so okay. I don't understand what happened
2: I think here's my understanding of it the Thursday you're right it is the Thursday night game should be why did that happen?
0: It doesn't make any sense. I've never had – I mean, I have turned on every West Coast team possible on yeah. that Thursday night broadcast in the past, so it doesn't make any sense at all. I I, I don't know. Th- this is what happens when you let <laughs> Ernie Johnson and the crew leave TNT to go over and do college basketball.
2: You know what I was about to say? I was about to say it was Tuesday night basketball on TNT because of <laughs> – it wasn't the regular crew of people that were calling the game. But I was like, no, no, it was Thursday. Today's definitely Friday. I, listen, I the I don't know what happened in the first four minutes of that overtime. I know the end of regulation was great. And Giannis actually made some free throws at the end of overtime to win it, which was interesting you made some free throws there you had a good night shooting free throws but yeah no clue what happened for basically four minutes there because uh they somehow screwed up the blackout reasons or i don't know Do the lakers get special preference that their own their own regional sports networks more important than tnt now
0: happy to move on to the to the next question here aaron
2: The Rams signed Bobby Wagner yesterday, a five-year deal worth $50 million. That's the the total there. I did not see how much is guaranteed, but I doubt the 32-year-old Bobby Wagner is going to be playing five years from now for $10 million a year on this contract. But I do enjoy that the Rams continue to find ways to add big names. And I also very much enjoy that we've seen quite a few teams. I don't know if we can directly attribute it to what the Rams did at winning the super bowl. But we've seen quite a few teams, including the Raiders trade away their first round pick, go out and try to acquire the big name player, whether it's in trade or free agency and not worry so much about drafting guys. And I'm ready and excited to see it blow up in the faces of so many teams because that's a very hard way to build a good football team.
0: Huh? Wow. Interesting. Uh, the the Rams don't have a salary cap, do they?
2: No, oh, it's great. It's phenomenal. They don't it's it's irrelevant. You just find ways around it. Just give guys signing bonuses, restructure contracts, and all of a sudden you can sign Bobby Wagner, Aaron Donald, and Odell Beckham at the same time. Right now, don't you
0: imagine that as soon as that signing was made, Bill Foley called up Les Sneed and said, How do you do it? How do you manage this cap this way? We need to know. Help us out. How do you how do you manage to get everybody on the roster at the same time?
2: What I really want to know is if Bill Foley owned a baseball team. No, would, man. Would he be Steve Cohen? Like, would he not care about the, the luxury tax at all? Or would Bill Foley be like, well, nobody else really goes blowing over it, so we can do it while staying within the luxury tax, too.
0: Tyler, he... He currently is 20% over the (laughs) NHL salary cap, 20%. And I know it's $95 which is basically, you know, what one year of Juan Soto is going to get on his next contract. But it's a lot different than Steve Cohen having, you know, potentially a $275 million payroll. But he absolutely would. Are you kidding? Bill Foley would go out there and drop his entire holdings on putting out a competitive baseball team.
2: Oh, you know what we need. We need the A's to move here just to compare Bill Foley to the Oakland A's and how they spend money, where we would have one team without a salary cap spending $5 on its players and one team with the salary cap finding ways to be over the salary cap every single year.
0: Can you imagine the A's getting a new stadium in Las Vegas and still being the A's when they got here (laughs) and still trying to say, yeah, I don't know, that guy was good for a couple of years, but we can't afford him. He's getting traded.
2: Next question. Anthony Davis plans to return to the Lakers tonight. They played last night in Utah. They lost in Utah, but Anthony Davis hasn't played since February 14th. Tonight, though, they are hosting the Pelicans, and it's Pelicans, Lakers, and Spurs. They're all right there in the mix for the 9 and 10 spot in the West, which would give you the play-in series there, do we spend too much time on a team that is going to be the 10-seed or maybe not even make the playoffs in the Los Angeles Lakers? Was well, that yes, a good enough answer for you? <laughs> <laughs> I, I want be- them to make it, though. Oh, I want, Even if we only get one or two games in this play-in, I want them to make it because I don't care about DeJounte Murray and the Spurs. I would rather watch LeBron James.
0: No, I want to see Pop. I, I, I let's you do? Let, let's give let's give Pop a let's give Pop a chance, right? I, I think I think Pop deserves to be there. What? Pop deserves to be there. LeBron would very much rather be working on Space Jam Six, <laughs> and if we have to watch LeBron, that means we also have to watch Russell Westbrook throwing balls off the stanchion.
2: I'm okay with that. That's entertaining. It's not good yeah. basketball, but it's entertaining
0: no because it means we're going to get more russell westbrook press conferences where he degrades reporters and yells at them about how they're besmirching his family name i i don't need all that drama just give us greg popovich
2: great question all right this goes in maybe pretty well with what the a's do but the padres according to bob nightingale are trying to trade for brian reynolds reynolds is a pittsburgh pirate Uh, He's 27 years old. He's under team control for three more seasons after 2022. After this season, he's still under team control for three more years. He had a 146 OPS plus last year. Why would the Pirates trade him?
0: The Pirates are the A's of the East Coast. they're, They're not keeping anybody for any length of time.
2: But there's th- there's there's four more seasons of this guy. Why I, I don't I, I, I don't
0: I, I I don't understand it. Look, it, it, I do think this much. If you're the Pirates and you have a player like Brian Reynolds, then why are you why are you not at least looking at trading him if you can get the bag from the Padres, right? Like if the Padres want to go offer you, you know, Mackenzie Gore plus plus their top left handed pitching prospect. Then, yeah, you absolutely think about it, because if you can turn one good player into four under team control, then that's probably where the Pirates need to live uh, because of the stance of their ownership, not because of what the ownership can afford, but because they've chosen to operate
2: this way. Uh, According to Bob Nightingale, the two players he mentioned uh, were Ryan Weathers and Chris Paddock uh which oh you god it, no would not be getting the bag for brian reynolds it would be getting a bag it would be filled <laughs> with crap make up stuff major league baseball is still trying to crack down on pitchers using foreign substances this season umpires are simply going to check the hand of the pitchers after innings if you remember last year this got implemented midseason umpires would come over they check the glove they check the belt they check the hat and if they found anything and there were a few guys that actually had something they would be ejected and immediately suspended uh but according to spin rate the spin rate started to climb back up in the last month and a half of the season which leads major league baseball to think that pitchers found a new way to get sticky stuff onto the field of play and now umpires the logic is simply well we're just going to check their fingers because that's going to be where it's at if they're cheating and also thrown in there is they do have the right to suspend somebody if they think the pitcher wiped his hand off before the umpire got to check him um i enjoy the idea here that they're like we're going to end this no more sticky stuff and then oh that made it a whole month before they found a way to keep using it and we didn't find out
0: Let's just keep manipulating the game and keep manipulating the game over and over and over again. We'll ban the shift. We'll put Tyler's stupid ghost runner back out there. I love the ghost runner. just, Just keep manipulating the game. The best part about it, Tyler, was that the second part of that story said the reason they have to check the hands now is because teammates were the ones taking the sticky (laughs) stuff out there for the pitcher and then once they got out to the field the teammate would have the sticky stuff and the pitcher would figure out a way to go get it from him
2: it's great it's great why why not this is cheating is reality i by the way the banning of the shift i think i would hate that more than you hate the ghost runner on second
0: oh i hate banning the shift far more than the ghost runner
2: it's anti-intelligence
0: it is anti intelligence. And the argument I get back from people is that well, in the NBA they you know, they largely ban zone defense. Like, okay. But you still have to perform the same skills to, to win the game, right? Like in baseball, why are we setting it up to where you can only play a player at certain places on the field? That was like that was someone hacking the game, innovating. I, I don't understand it.
2: It's like if I if I can figure out this to hit the ball to this spot, and I can't put a defender there. What's the point? Like, what what's the point? What am I doing? So uh,
0: the other piece of this, from baseball's perspective, that I don't understand, that I'll never understand. It, all right, we heard about it with the NBA, we've heard about it with the NHL, and we've heard about it with the NFL. That every rule change because the fans want it favors the offense. Right? We talk about every time. The rule changes are going to encourage more scoring. Baseball is the exception to the rule because baseball is the one sport where defense is just as exciting as offense. You can see an unbelievable play on defense, and that can be just as entertaining as seeing somebody hit a home run. And you pretty much can't say that about any other sport. Maybe a great block in the NBA, but that's it.
2: Uh, largely because it's the one sport where the defense has the ball. What a great sport. Sports are dumb. How do we come up with these dumb things? And then we invest all of our time and emotion into them and get upset about it. It's great. What a great society we have here. Coming up next, the Raiders signed a quarterback who's going to push Derek
1: Carr. I need to get my ankle fixed, but I just want to make sure, you know, I got a really obligation or commitment from a team. You know, it's a lot for a guy to go through surgery. Without a an idea of where you're gonna yeah. work or you're gonna
0: work for, we're back to the press box with Grady and Bischoff, featuring Adam Candy. We'll remember.
2: We'll remember. Ed Grady is out at the final four. Adam Candy filling in for him. Ben Brown's gonna join us in about ten minutes from Pro Football Focus. We'll also have Megadeth tickets to give away next hour, so make sure you stay tuned. The Raiders have made a signing, a
1: quarterback.
2: Nick Mullins has been signed by the Raiders. Nick Mullins played with the Browns last season. Actually, he's the quarterback that started the game against the Raiders when Baker Mayfield and a good chunk of the Browns were out due to COVID and other injuries. Uh, Nick Mullins, though, played most of his career in San Francisco. I think he made uh, multiple. I think he made ten starts in San Francisco, maybe even more than that over a few years due to some injuries. He is the new backup quarterback for the Raiders. Um, this is not as fun as Marcus Mariota because we don't really get to speculate on if this guy can take Derek Carr's job anymore. How dare you
0: disrespect Garrett Gilbert like this?
2: Oh, Garrett Gilbert. You're just (laughs) handing the backup job to Nick Mullins. Uh, Jared's going to hand it to Nathan Peterman, even though Nathan Peterman's not going to get signed by anybody.
1: Yes, I am. Nathan Peterman 2024. By then, he'll be ready.
0: 2024 okay by that time it'll only be four interceptions and a half so yeah. all right um yeah that's great but when are they going to announce the Derek Carr extension
2: yeah it's, I mean listen this has been uh maybe the most interesting topic in terms of trying to read between the lines because every time we get a McDaniels or a Ziegler quote about it they talk about building the relationship and it's like all right they keep trying to build up this relationship and when are they actually going to sign the deal instead of just building a relationship uh he gets one right like they're gonna sign car to an extension yeah they're gonna get the extension and i
0: i understand what ziggler and mcdaniels are doing because when you want to sign derrick card an extension you have to take individual meetings with every member of the car family and make sure that they're okay with it, right? Like, I'm sure they're still waiting to get in with Darren. It's hard to get on Darren's schedule. David, they already covered. Heather's already done uh, <laughs> done their interview. Like, the front office has to make sure every member of the Carr Family Circus is, is okay with the contract. Uh, about Nick Mullins, though, uh, I am mad at Nick Mullins, and I don't know if oh. Nick Mullins knows this, but I am mad at Nick Mullins, because had Nick Mullins been able to convert one more third down in that game against the Raiders with about four weeks left in the season, we wouldn't have to sit here this off season and listen to people talk to us about how, well, the Raiders were a playoff team last year. Yeah. If Nick Chubb gets two more yards on that uh, third and two play, the Raiders are not a playoff team. They're out of the playoffs by week 15. But
2: he didn't get two more yards.
0: Nope, he didn't. And the Raiders are air quotes, a playoff team.
2: They were. And they got Devontae Adams, so they can only get better. That's how the NFL works. You always if you get a good player in the offseason, you are always automatically better than you were last season. You right. can't get worse. It's impossible. No, it's 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 not. You you take everything
0: you have, you you stack that cheddar higher, and of course you have nothing but success <laughs> moving on. <laughs>
2: All right. Outside a quarterback here. Um, there's a player I'm I'm interested in seeing here. His name's Cleveland Furrell. Uh, Josh McDaniels this week was asked about Cleveland Furrell, and his response was, I think everybody, for us, it's going to be a clean slate. Usually not good when you ask about a specific player and the coach immediately says, well, for everybody, it's a clean slate. He also said, I'm really not as interested in what they've done as much as what we can do moving forward. He'll earn his role. Whatever his role is going to be, he'll earn it. We might have some things we ask him to do that he hasn't done much of, but that might fit him better. So, Cleveland Furl, top five pick, uh, not a very good top five pick, has been an okay NFL player. Had he been taken in round four or five, we'd be like, hey, eh, that guy's fine. But because he was a top five pick, certainly gets labeled as a bust. But he's played in a 4-3 defensive scheme for his entire NFL career. The Raiders appear, even though Patrick Graham refused to say it based on their signings, the Raiders appear to be going to a 3 4, a new scheme for Cleveland Furl. Do you think it matters?
0: To Cleveland Furrell, absolutely not. Uh, to Alex Leatherwood, maybe not. Uh, you said yesterday you think that the only reason Alex Leatherwood is getting another shot is because he's a first round pick. Uh, Cleveland Furl has not been as bad as Alex Leatherwood, but he hasn't been half of the number four overall pick. So why wouldn't it just be Josh McDaniels and Dave Ziegler coming in saying, nah, go ahead, show us.
2: So what's more likely to you? Does Cleveland Furl have his best career season because there's a new scheme or front? Or Cleveland Furl is never playing, maybe even gets released at some point this season?
0: It's far more likely he gets released, don't you think? Really. Yeah, I mean, I think, it's
2: I, it's one year left on his on his deal, so it's not like you're dumping a guy on a rookie contract with two or three years left. So it's certainly a there's nothing really to be afraid of dumping if you get into week seven or eight. He's not any good, and you want to make room for some random defensive lineman that you're signing. I I think that's certainly possible, and I I do wonder like if you're Josh McDaniels and Dave Ziegler coming into this. How much do you look at Cleveland Furl and expect anything versus, all right, he's on the roster. And if he works out well in the preseason and the first couple weeks of the season, great, but we're not really counting on it.
0: Tyler and I like to sit here and throw numbers at you, and we could throw a lot of Cleveland Furl numbers at you, but we don't need to because the Raiders have told you everything you need to know about the number four overall pick from three years ago by the fact that they haven't picked up his fifth year option yet. If you have not picked up the fifth year option, on a player on a rookie deal who had with the number four overall pick then you already know what they think of him and they think of him as a reclamation project at best so that's why guys coming from the patriots world where bill belichick always cuts a guy one season too early versus one season too late are not going to have any loyalty to the players here previously
2: all right rookie or five year fifth year options well i butchered that Raiders, because they had those three first-round draft picks, actually have that decision on three different guys. Cleveland Furl seems to be an obvious no. Jonathan Abram seems to be an obvious no. I know if you and I were in charge here, Josh Jacobs would probably be a no as well. Do you think they end up picking up Josh Jacobs' fifth-year option before this season?
0: Ready for me to blow your mind?
2: You would? You would pick it up?
0: I think they're more likely to pick up the Jonathan Abram option.
2: Oh, my God. You did blow. That's not where I thought you were going. Okay uh why
0: because you can look at jonathan abram as a guy who under patrick graham might 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 have a chance to at least keep up the level that he performed at last year which was average right just average not good average and josh jacobs on the other hand performs at a position that the Patriots showed year after year after year that unless you are, you know, a little scat pass catching back, the guy who's going to pound into the line, they just replace him over and over and over again. Whether it's Corey Dillon, Garrett Blunt, whoever it is, they just cycle through those guys. I cannot see this organization picking up a fifth year option on a running back who. Has been injured consistently throughout his career. So I think it's more likely that they can look at Jonathan Abram if they see some, you know, some sort of potential in him that maybe they could pick up that fifth year option on him and say, well, we have a new scheme. He improved from year two to year three. Granted, it was from god awful to not god awful. (laughs) And maybe they say he can at least become an average player for them.
2: Hold on. Let me make sure I'm judging this in the right context. Give me a percentage. You think they pick up the Abram option?
0: Oh boy! Let's say thirty three percent on the Abram option, twenty five percent on the Jacob option.
2: Okay, all right, all right. So it's still more likely they oh. don't pick up the Abram.
0: Absolutely, yes. you, know, you yes. But you just, you know, but our scenario there was which yes. one, right? Yes,
2: I got you. I got you. I just didn't want to, didn't want to take that in the wrong uh, oh, direction yes. as to you yes. being like, oh yeah, Jonathan Abram, you got to pick it up. That guy might be good. Yeah. I, I will say the one thing on Abram, and this is sort of similar to the offensive line, they haven't replaced him as of right now jonathan abram is probably a starting member of this defensive unit is that the case when we get to the first week of the season you'd hope not if you're the raiders but as of right now they haven't replaced him so i guess it probably should be a little bit higher than i'm actually thinking coming up next ben brown joins the show
1: all the players who are there are a few in here every one of them's gotten cussed out uh, including him so that's just part of me, you know? So there's that, nothing new, but we have a great relationship. I mean, as soon as he retired, I think we text every week. Hey, where are you at? What are you doing? When are you going to play golf? Uh, when are you getting back down this way? And uh, so <laughs> people got it right. It couldn't be further from the truth.
0: Live from the Finley Toyota ESPN Las Vegas studios, this is The Press Box with Grady and Bischoff featuring Adam Candy.
2: Joining us now from Pro Football Focus is Ben Brown. Good morning, Ben. How are you today?
1: Uh, I'm doing pretty well, gentlemen. Uh, you know, it's always interesting on April Fool's Day, but uh, I'm having a good Friday. How are you guys doing?
2: Hey, listen, this is the worst. Twi- the combination of Twitter and April Fool's Day is the worst because I You're had right. to wake up this morning and see people tweeting about David and Joku asking for a trade.
1: Yeah, you know, yeah, that and, and the Julian Edelman thing, and I'm sure there's a lot more, you know, situations coming as well. But it's it's a tough day to be an NFL insider, that's for sure.
2: Uh, you wrote a story at PFF looking at some win totals in the AFC, and I'm curious, what do you look at when it's when it's March, when it's April? What do you look at to find value in these win totals so far away from the season actually starting?
1: Yeah, I mean, it is interesting because we can run, you know, like our simulation process. We do have. Uh, at least the teams that everyone is going to play. We don't have the order in which they're going to be played or anything like that, but we can still do uh, a lot of things. We obviously know, uh, you know, team strength components, uh, folding in, you know, off-season acquisitions and, you know, continuity at, you know, like the coordinator positions, head coaching positions, uh, quarterback positions, those sorts of things. So a lot of our stuff is, you know, pretty much already in place. I do feel we have a, you know, fairly accurate gauge on, uh, you know, how these teams should be assessed kind of heading into the 2022 season. There's definitely uh, some value on uh, opportunities, I think, if you're uh, probably already faded a little bit of, you know, the popular teams and, you know, general trends that a lot of the other, a lot of the other betters are probably already buying into.
0: Ben, Tyler and I were just talking about the fallacy of the idea that if a team won X number of games last year and added and Y and Z players, clearly they're going to improve. So how how do you factor that into your models and your projections of a team did this last year and are they necessarily a guarantee to do that same thing or more next year? And we're definitely not talking about the Raiders and Devontae Adams.
1: Right, right, right. No, I mean, it is, it is an interesting uh, problem to solve, right? And I do think even just like comparing uh, wins and losses is probably uh, not necessarily the worst way of doing it, but it's like probably like the base, Opportunity for how you actually want to approach these certain things. So you can obviously uh, look at not only wins, but how well they performed in those wins and losses to get a more accurate representation of how good that team was in 2021 uh, and how that actually projects forward into 2022. And then, you know, folding in the players, obviously, uh, you know, the Raiders are a team that actually had quite a bit of luck winning a number of overtime games last year. A lot of those are, uh, you know, pretty close to 50 50 propositions. So I do think they ran. Probably better uh, than normal expectation would in those games in 2021. We do expect that to regress a little bit, but uh, they also got a lot better uh, in certain positions where they were actually really poor. The Devontae Adams, you know, saw trade is you know just one example of Chandler Jones as well. Uh, but 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 they have the they have the continuity uh, questions with basically you know an entire new coaching staff as well, and we do typically see those sorts of teams at least, uh, you know, underperform a little bit in that year one and then kind of actually build on that in year two. So I think, you know, it's somewhat tempered expectations. They headed into the season last year with a seven-and-a-half game win total. They're up to 8.5 now. Uh, do have a much more difficult strength of schedule than what we would probably have projected at last year at this time. So uh, trying to take into account all those things, they are a definitely an improved team, but unfortunately all the teams around them have also improved pretty dramatically, I would say, outside of Kansas City
2: so on the afc west because that division you mentioned the raiders their eight and a half win total is last because the other three are all over ten it seems obvious that they division likely won't have three teams hit ten wins this year so i'm curious do you do you bet on that is there a team you feel comfortable betting against to not get to ten wins among those three or is it too up in the air that you don't think there's enough value betting against any of those teams
1: Yeah, I definitely think there is some value. One team that I uh, actually was surprised, but our simulation was a lot lower on, was the Kansas City Chiefs. From last week when I wrote it up, they were at an eleven game win total. They are down to ten and a half now. Uh, But this is a spot where you see, you know, betters and other prognosticators kind of gravitate towards the teams that end up making the splashy, uh, you know, offseason acquisition teams like the Raiders, teams like, um, you know, the Miami Dolphins and the Denver Broncos. Uh, but rarely do we see uh, maybe as significant of an adjustment as we should the teams losing those particular guys. And I do think with the Chiefs losing Tyreek Hill, uh, there's this expectation that they're basically going to be able to just hit on, you know, both of their first-round draft picks and kind of build up that skill position unit again. Uh, and I think that's a little bit far-fetched, and I do think that given the state of the defenses uh, in the AFC West, they're a team that I would probably expect to regress the furthest. So I do think that Dumb still under 10-and-a-half game win total uh, makes a lot of sense. Uh, and then on the flip side of that, I do think Denver as well. Um, it, it, they're kind of priced at their ceiling right now. right? I think everybody expects them to be a lot better than what they were last year. But there's a ton of turnover, a ton of new things being put in place both offensively and defensively, uh, and for all of that to gel really quickly and them to be able to kind of hit the ground running uh and exceed ten wins, I think is actually a pretty tall order here in twenty twenty two. So those are two teams at the top that I definitely think uh there is some merit to fading. But like you said, uh just looking at the AFC in general right now, even like the playoff race and the win total race, like there's a lot more um, you know, priced into these teams uh, getting into the playoffs and, you know, really high wind totals that the under and the downside of that are really probably the only uh, correct places to bet right now.
0: Ben, you and I had money stolen out of our pockets by Trent balky <laughs> being an idiot and deciding to not only franchise Cam Robinson, but right. uh, drop a massive contract on Brandon Scherf, thereby uh, taking away all of the uh Ike Aquanu and Evan Neal value we had on draft props by making Aiden Hutchinson the likely number one pick. So, uh, what from what you've seen recently among uh, draft markets might still have some value left?
1: Yeah, there. Are, I, I'm really interested in some of these like positions drafted in the first round. I know everyone's kind of looking at the quarterback market. Uh, two and a half uh, total for a total players going uh, in some spots. Three and a half with the juice flip toward the under uh, in other spots. I think that one's a pretty tough market to actually handicap right now, but one that I am getting uh, pretty excited about is total cornerbacks over 4.5. Uh, that's at a plus 120 price. still. I do think that uh, given the state of the position, the fact that there wasn't, you know, a ton of high profile signings in pre-agency, I do think we're going to see a lot of these teams load up on cornerbacks, especially in the back half uh, of the first round. So, over four and a half, we have three. We have five guys basically in our top thirty at PFF on our on our big board uh, projected to go in the first round. I think we could easily see five or six quarterbacks go. Uh, so I think that's probably my most favorite bet right now. Um, outside of that, uh, the question becomes like, where is Malik Willis going to land? And I do think that uh, you know a lot of people are projecting him to go to Detroit at number two overall. I think that. Uh, doesn't really speak to the way that I think Dan Campbell uh is potentially wanting to build that roster out so I would be pretty surprised if he does end up in Detroit but I think a dark horse team that nobody's really talking about right now uh is the Houston Texans who I can't imagine are going to go into the 2022 season with Davis Mills as their only legitimate quarterback on that particular roster I do think that there uh, is some sort of connection with Malik Willis uh, especially given his time at Liberty that Houston's probably drawn to. And the fact that they have you know picks number three, picks number 12 and could be in the market to land, you know, another pick in the first round. If they do trade Brandon cooks uh, them at, you know, like a plus 1600 price to land will wells, I think is uh, one of the best long shot bets that you can make on the board right now.
2: What do you think is going to be easier winning prop bets for the super bowl or winning bets on the NFL draft?
1: So I've I've actually had you know the, the last three years that I've really gotten into the NFL draft. I have had quite a bit of success uh, on the first round and second round specifically because uh, a lot of these books you know after the first round happens we do get some pretty soft markets heading into that Friday day uh, and there's been a lot of opportunities to actually clean up. So I've I've done fairly well uh, on the NFL draft market and that was kind of the reason uh, that I was so drawn to the NFL in general. It's something that I've been into since I was. Uh, a little kid in a lot of ways when it was only one day based uh, all day on Saturday, I used to watch all seven rounds. So I think that I handicapped uh, the draft market better than anything else. And I do think it's one of the most enjoyable aspects uh, of my job. So I'm looking forward to another uh, profitable season here at the end of April.
2: Well, he is Ben Brown with pro football focus, Ben, as always, we appreciate it.
1: Thanks guys. Have a great show.
2: So there is Ben Brown from Pro Football Focus NFL Draft coming up later this month here in Las Vegas. Unfortunately, the Raiders aren't going to pick until Saturday morning because they traded for Devontae Adams. Probably the biggest downside for us, for them trading for Devontae Adams. But coming up next, UNLV football, we've got a quarterback competition and it's probably never going away.
1: Hawaii showing blitz, here comes the blitz. Back to throw free,
0: looking, 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 rolling. His pass is intercepted again by Hawaii at midfield. And finally tackled at the 44-yard line. The man who made the pick was safety solo Turner. Third turnover by the Rebels in the first quarter. You're sitting in the press box with Graney and Bischoff on ESPN Las Vegas. Follow them
2: on Twitter at EdGraney and Bischoff underscore Tyler. Featuring Adam Candy. We are about 10 minutes away from the FIFA World Cup draw. So in the next hour, if I am thoroughly distracted, you'll know why. I'll actually probably just yell into the mic if something good or bad happens. Jared so and Candy. Get ready. Yeah, it might be, it might be important to do that. Um, so yeah, FIFA World Cup draw coming up in about 10 minutes. Hopefully I'm excited because we get drawn into the same group as Qatar. That would be incredible. Um, Some UNLV football news, though. Spring practice has started. Arroyo does not have a starting quarterback. Now, it's April 1st. I don't think that's too big of a deal. With one slight exception, Marcus Arroyo basically has not had a starting quarterback for the entirety of his tenure at UNLV. He just doesn't want to name a starting quarterback. UNLV has three guys competing for the job Harrison Bailey is the Tennessee transfer and then Doug Brumfield and Cameron Friel who were two of the quarterbacks that played last year Cam Friel actually won uh freshman of the year in the Mountain West first off before we get into the actual quarterbacks do you think it's a big deal that Marcus Arroyo has not named a starting quarterback now and if not, is there a point in time where you do think it's a big deal that Marcus Arroyo hasn't named a starting quarterback?
0: Oh, Marcus Arroyo has shown us that he loves the secrecy game. He loves thinking that he's getting an edge over the competition by not naming a starting quarterback. So it doesn't matter. And largely, it doesn't matter because the guy who started the first game last year for LV isn't with the program anymore. So... You know, it didn't matter in game. It didn't matter for two thirds of the season. Why would it matter now?
2: So I am curious to see, is Harrison Bailey going to be the starting quarterback? Because you had, listen, Doug Brumfield and Cameron Friel were fine last year, right? They weren't like Mountain West worst quarterbacks. They were fine. They were decent quarterbacks in this conference, but... I don't think either one is going to be a a top two or three quarterback in the Mountain West, and when you get a transfer from a Power 5 conference, you normally look at that and say that guy's got a really good chance. They had Justin Rogers uh, from TCU, similar situation, similar recruiting rankings as Harrison Bailey, where he's a top 100 guy, four-star, and Justin Rogers wasn't very good last season, so you could project that onto Harrison Bailey if you like, but I am curious because... If Harrison Bailey is not the starting quarterback, and whether or not Arroyo tells us or not, but if Harrison Bailey doesn't win the job, I don't have a lot of expectations for UNLV football next season. Because I think the biggest thing that's been missing for UNLV, for at least since I've been here, and this will be the going into the, I think, eighth season of UNLV football since I've lived here, they have not had good quarterback play. It has not happened. They've had, you know, Armani Rogers had some great games with his legs. There were a couple of games where he was good with his arm, but not many. And outside of that, they've had bad quarterback play over and over. Awful quarterback play. And they've had incredible turnover as far as injuries go to the quarterback spot. I know Mark Anderson used to track the stat. I can't remember the year. I think it's maybe 1997. was the last time UNLV had the same quarterback start every single game of a season it's been over two decades since that has happened I think you've got to hope that Harrison Bailey not only wins the job but that Harrison Bailey stays healthy because that gives you at least a shot at hey maybe UNLV has one of the whatever three or four best quarterbacks in the Mountain West and if they do and I think there's reason for optimism because that's fixing the most important position and a position that UNLV hasn't gotten right in basically a decade.
0: But I think it speaks to a bigger issue, Tyler, and that's in order to evaluate Marcus Arroyo as a head coach, you have to see what a quarterback can do with Marcus Arroyo's offense because that was the idea in bringing in Marcus Arroyo in the first place, right? Beyond the fact that Desiree Reed-Francois only hired young and up-and-coming coaches, <laughs> The idea was you're bringing in a coach who ran the offense at Oregon and is going to be able to bring similar levels of success to UNLV. But, of course, we haven't seen that yet. We haven't seen anything close to it yet because the turnover at quarterback has been like it's been at UNLV for decades, really, I mean, you know, beyond Jason Thomas. So that's part of the problem here. So I think the bigger thing for UNLV isn't can – A quarterback make them top three or four in the mountain west i think the biggest thing right now if you're in eric harper's shoes is to know whether or not marcus arroyo is your guy moving forward and the only way you can know that is if marcus arroyo gives you a quarterback that can run his system
2: so okay that's uh, that's a curious way to look at this because as far as athletic directors evaluating coaches, and and I think there's a real chance that Eric Harper could make a change after this season, depending on how it goes for UNLV. If they win two games or less, I think there's a real chance Arroyo's not here. If they get to three or four, that's kind of purgatory, five or more, and I, I think he's he's pretty safe. But the idea of how an athletic director evaluates a coach, obviously you look at win totals and postseason success or just getting to the postseason, whatever it is. Like That's the important thing. But I wonder how much more nuance is it than just that and uh, that would be interesting if you let's say UNLV wins only three games or something like that this season right it's not a good year they don't take a substantial step forward in year three under Arroyo but Harrison Bailey or any of these quarterbacks just has a great year right let's just say the defense is horrific and they can't stop anybody I wonder if that would factor in if Eric Harper would if as an athletic director you look at it and say well yeah, they didn't do very well, they kind of sucked, but I really like the way they developed the quarterback, and that's the important thing, or that's what we're hoping that he could do when he got hired. I wonder how much that would play into it, and and maybe even the other way. What if they get close to a bowl game? What if they get to four wins or maybe even five wins, but the quarterback spot is just dreadful, and you look at it and say, yeah, if you're going to be this bad with quarterbacks, you're not going to sustain anything here, so we need to make a change because it's just not working out.
0: It is more nuanced than that. I mean, it is more nuanced than how many games did they win. I agree entirely. I don't think this is going to be... F- when Eric Harper makes this decision about Marcus Arroyo, and let's be honest here, at the end of this year, there's a decision to make, yeah. period, right? Uh, like It doesn't matter whether that decision is extend him or let him go, but there's a decision to make. And I think what you look at with UNLV is, are we getting noticeably better? And so Harrison Bailey becoming a top-end quarterback could absolutely be that because that's what Marcus Arroyo is supposedly here to do. So absolutely you look at it that way, Tyler, because right now, what else does UNLV have to look at? If the rest of the roster isn't good enough to win, then you look at Harrison Bailey and say, okay, he got better. And also, I think the UNLV situation is kind of the flip side of the Raiders, right? For 6-1 and in one-score games last year, UNLV was basically the opposite. So you could project that UNLV with a little more luck as a 4-5 or win team without working too hard at it.
2: Yes, there is very much reason to think UNLV can be better without getting better, even if they don't get better quarterback play, can have a better win-loss record simply because they're going to win more one-score games than they did last year when they were terrible in one-score games.